It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikuma, and with me is the man who is still so delusional 24 hours later as to think that he drafted a better team than me on yesterday's episode of the podcast, Benjamin Solak. Ben, my man, other than being blinded by your own ambitions, how the heck are you, my friend? I'm not sure I condone this intro to the podcast. <laughs> well, it's too bad. This is the intro that I did. You got to live with it. Sometimes we got sometimes we got to switch it up in the first 30 seconds of the show to make sure the good people are ready for what's about to happen on this episode. And well, I, I was not informed that slander was going to be happening within 30 seconds on this episode. I, look, when you think when you prepared. think that you would best the team that I was able to form yesterday, there's going to be some slander. You finally put together one half-decent Mock Draft Monday. I will give you that. And finally! All sudden, and all of a sudden, it's it's immediate Monday smack talk. You hate to see it. Graceful in victory, he is not, my friends. No, I'm just, I'm letting you know that I'm winning. I'm letting you know that I'm winning. Despicable. You really think that your team was better than my team? In what uh, area, Ben? In what area? I really think that that as I, I believe in every single mock draft Monday, the fact that you do not draft offensive linemen is prohibitive. That what are you talking about? I got Trent Williams. All right. I got Quentin Nelson. Mm-hmm. I got Jake Long, who's all right. He's fine given the circumstances. And then I got total beef with Starlo Tulele and Richard Seymour. You realize you, you saying that I didn't draft an offensive line. You got to understand what you're going up against me with. You got Bradley it, Chubb. Okay, all right. You got Bradley Chubb. I feel are we you, really relitigating this right now? Bradley Chubb is going to go up against Trent Williams. All right, got him on lock. It's fine. Dominic and Sue is going to go up against Quinn Nelson. My boys got him handled. It's fine. Then you got Mackay Becton and Cam Newton. I got enough beef to figure out what's going on there. Jake Long is yeah, okay. handling Cam Newton. And Mackay Becton's not doing squat. Is it an offense-driven league or a defense-driven league? It is a whichever team is better league. Okay, that's interesting. It is interesting. Okay, can't remember hearing that that um that little anecdote. Can't remember hearing that little saying. Oh, it is a it's a league where the better team wins. Yeah, seems suspicious. Don't know how I feel about that. I mean, if you want to go off the better team winning, then um, you're paying yourself into a corner because I got the better team. If you guys are lost on this entire argument, you got to go back and listen to the mock draft Monday episode that we did yesterday. Ben and I went through the last 22 first rounds of the NFL draft, and we had to draft against each other, choosing players from the first round of each draft. But there were some stipulations involved. There were some blocking of players, and uh, let's just say that it got pretty heated. So much so that it is spilling over into this episode of the podcast. We won't waste an entire episode talking smack. 
you can go over to Twitter and, and see plenty of that that'll probably go on throughout the week. What Ben and I wanted to do today, though, is another fan request, something that you guys have brought to us really over the last couple of weeks. And it's like, hey, I'd love to hear your thoughts on certain prospects who have already opted out of the 2020 college football season because Ben and I went over them during the summer scouting series. A lot of these guys that we're talking about, well, all of these guys that we're talking about, we have already given our scouting thoughts on, but we were doing those for the most part with the goggles or glasses of thinking that this is kind of like a normal year. Like they have another year coming up. They've got some time to develop. We, we mentioned things that we would like to see from them before they get drafted. But for some of these guys, and some of them are high impact potential first round players, they're not going to get that. They're not going to get that chance anymore. The next time we see them in pads, is they're going to be NFL players. So uh, I had Ben come up with a list of some notable names that have been in conversations recently over the last couple of weeks that we're going to discuss and get into with guys and their outlooks now that they're not going to be playing college football again, and that the next time uh, we hear their name in a big way, it's going to be on draft night, not uh, getting a sack in the backfield or catching a touchdown or something like that. Ben, where do you want to start today? Uh, yeah, so we have, we, this is by no means comprehensive. We have almost 100 players, I think. That yeah, of course. opted out, right. Um, yeah, which it's going yeah, to be a six-hour podcast. Hope you guys are buckled, buckled in. Kennedy Brooks opted out, which I had no idea about. Shout out Kennedy Brooks. Um, I think we need to start with Greg Rousseau, the Miami Edge. Because That's a good place I think, to start. Uh, obviously, Michael Parsons, Caleb Farley. We, we have Jamar Chase. We've got some potential top 10 picks who have opted out. But I think no player has gotten the, the national attention as a first-year, you know, eligible player rising up the way that Rousseau has for his production. And when you and I sat down on his film, we agreed he's not ready to be a year-one high-impact player. We've seen players of his mold be selected top ten, top fifteen, and be successful. But usually, it takes a year or two for us to settle into pace because he is raw technically and still growing into his frame as he transitions from playing wide freaking receiver to defensive end now Rousseau is not going back to Miami has officially declared for the 2021 NFL draft and accordingly it's hard for me to hear the argument that puts him at the caliber of a Marvin Wilson Michael Parsons Caleb Farley-esque prospect on defense Whereas when he could have hypothetically had a whole other year to put out some better films, some true edge rushing snaps, mm-hmm. I said, okay, you know what I mean? Like, I'll entertain this argument. I see the ceiling. Without any more college football in Rousseau, I'd be hard-pressed to consider drafting him over those players. It's a, it's a really interesting situation here because you would love to say, okay, well, let's go back and let's let's find some things in history where we go through these players who— might be one-year starters or, you know, guys who, who didn't have a lot of time before they went to the league. And we go, okay, well, how did the NFL treat them? But this is still very different because Rousseau wasn't even draft eligible last year, right? I mean, like, we would have guaranteed got another year out of him as a potential top first-round pick. And all this becomes very interesting because we do these way-too-early mock drafts, right? And... I and we have I've the, never done one. The ranking. I resent this allegation. Sorry. I, I've done one uh, the last uh, two years, and they're fun as hell, by the way. But that's kind of like what they're supposed to be. They're just like fun, right? You're just trying to throw some names out there for people to get to know some of these prospects. But now we're really putting to te- the test the idea of 
you know, we, we've had these freshman sensations, right? I mean, whether it was Trevor Lawrence or, um, well, this is topical, uh, like Leonard Fournette his freshman year. You know, like guys who as true freshmen dominated to a point where you went, if they left right now, if they left school right now, they'd be a first-round pick in the NFL. We're really going to start to put that logic to the test this year to see how true that is because I I just did a mock draft this past Monday, not on the episode that you and I did where I drafted the better team than you. I did an actual 2021 mock draft for thedraftnetwork.com. I have Gregory Rousseau going number 16 overall to the Atlanta Falcons. I didn't have him in the top 10. And I thought that that was a much more comfortable place for like where he is as a prospect. But... Something to then keep in mind here is that for as raw as we might think Gregory Rousseau is, for as much as we think he needs to get more comfortable at a higher weight, understand a singular position well, keep versatility, but really master being an edge rusher, he might still be the number one edge player in this class. And we know the NFL covers covets edge players a lot. So Rousseau is in this situation where... I would come away with a, from a discussion about Rousseau thinking maybe mid-round first pick, end of the first round, early second, really comfortable spot for you to get a guy who probably is not going to give you a lot his first year, who's going to need to kind of come into his own, really grow up into his own abilities. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. I just mean kind of like mature into the talent that he has. And really you're getting things out of him year two, year three, and year four. You're hoping that he's a star. That's a good place to draft him on that value, knowing you're not really going to get, or it's no guarantee that you'll get day one or year one and year two production out of him. But that might not be the case this year, right? If he is edge one, he's probably going in the top. Do you think he's going in the top 10, top 12 regardless? Like it doesn't even matter. Yes and no. I have a theory on Rousseau. Um, and the theory is, is born of, you know, a, in a traditional draft year, everything that a scout says in the summer is utter bupkis. You Everything that a scout says that gets to the media should be received with just a, a huge boulder of salt. But especially in the summer, because a little, you know, dirty industry secret here for you, they haven't watched these guys. Right, like when like like when 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 a scout in July is talking about Greg Rousseau, he's not talking about a player he sat down and did film on. He's talking about a player he saw out of the corner of his eye when he was watching somebody else. He's talking about a player that he heard some other dude talk about. He's talking about a player that was talked up to him by an agent, talked up to him by a coach, talked to him by a trainer. But he has not sat down on that dude. He hasn't. And so I believe that with no games on Rousseau left for us because he's declared. We're going to see as time goes on the conversation on him slowly die off a little bit in you terms think? of the, the hype. I do. Because I, I, I firmly believe that a lot, like, I, and listen, like DJ's out here calling Greg Rousseau the best non offensive prospect in the draft. And I know DJ's watching the film. So there are definitely people out there who are all the way in on him. I get that. But I think when, when rubber hits the road and it's time to start putting draft picks to, to players and you, have a, a top 10 pick, and you've got a, a 19-year-old who is raw than sushi and produced in an extremely unique defensive line situation. I don't understand how you sit down and you justify that pick in a year like this. Like, uh, 
obviously we talked about it during last year's draft cycle and then we'll talk about it in this year's draft cycle. The rules are different and front offices are going to go about it different ways. It only takes one, right? The Atlanta Falcons are picking seven. They want Rousseau, boom, Rousseau is top ten pick. But I if I'm if I'm a general manager, I don't want a guy with only one year of production in this year's draft class. I'm not sure I can do that. With yeah. the volatility of, of college football, it's too dangerous. And and I wonder how safe the NFL is going to play with a lot of these guys because when you look at the draft that happened this past April, it's it's not a apples and apples comparison, but I remember reading about the Buccaneers on draft night and kind of like the behind the scenes of it and their general manager, Jason Light, like he was trying to make a trade happen. He wanted to pop up for an offensive lineman and like he kept like calling teams like, Hey, like, what do you want for this pick? What do you want for this pick? And he kept trying to, you know, they, they ended up, it worked out great for him because they got Tristan worse and they really didn't have to give up much to move up to go get him. But he continued to ask these teams, like, right around 10, 11, 12, like, all these teams, like, hey, what do you want for a trade? What do you want for a trade? And these these teams just, like, they weren't having it. Like, they were playing it safe. They didn't want to risk moving back. They didn't have. They didn't think that they had, like, a good feel on what other teams were going to do, how they were going to handle that draft because, you know, uh, no pro days happened, nothing like that. It was the beginning of the pandemic stages. And we watched the NFL, I feel like, collectively just go the safe route. Just like hoard their own picks and just go, these are my picks. This is what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to play it safe. And I wonder if that same root of train of thought is going to come into prospects in this situation and Gregory Rousseau is going to be a perfect example of like how much that really is going to ring true because where it only takes one and maybe one team is going to take the flyer on him in the top 10 and we're all going to sit here years back and go like see the NFL love the top 10 that might not be the case and the overwhelming majority might be a lot of teams that are saying hey you know shoot look at look at a guy like Quincy Roche got a lot more snaps under his belt Got a lot more starting uh, experience. Knows what he's doing. I think he's a lot more honed in on his craft. They can value a guy like that over Gregory Rousseau. Rousseau, clearly the higher talent. But you know what you're getting in Roche much more than you do Gregory Rousseau. So, I I just think that like that's this is going to be a very interesting situation. And when I look at the NFL and how things have been done when they've gotten out of their comfort zone in the past, it makes me think... Mm-hmm. That Rousseau's gonna slide much more than we are projecting right now, simply right. because the NFL is not gonna be as confident taking risks as they would have been in other seasons. And I wonder I wonder how much that goes for guys who are going to play this fall as opposed to guys who aren't going to play at all, like people who have already opted out. There's there's gonna there's, a, there's a, we know that the NFL can can get into the thought process of like what have you done for me lately and things that are in the forefront of your mind and coming off a hot year and everything like that shoot these players that are playing this fall they might have their own advantages there even outside of these guys who have already opted out no i absolutely agree and that's 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 the thing is like with even without Rousseau taking a snap a lot of things are going to change between now and then um and he's and, the most and things out of his control and things out of yeah. his control too you know right now, if he shows up at the combine, a strap two sixty five, I reserve the right to withdraw all of this. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there's a we we know that we know there's a difference between showing up at a combine at, at a higher weight Dude, and then playing at the higher weight. Imagine, but imagine like right now it's it's whatever it is, September first, and he gets to sit down with his agent and be like, "Here's our you know six month training plan for the NFL combine." 
that's an opportunity, man. Oh no, he's you, gonna he's gonna look. Yeah. He's gonna look Everyone. like a like a transformer. That early, dude. Yeah, you come in strapped, dude. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, let's talk about two receivers. I know you got two more guys on this list. Jamar Chase and Sage Sherratt are two of them. Are either of these guys in a similar situation to that of Gregory Rousseau, or are they on the opposite side of things when it comes to dealing with guys opting out during this pandemic season? Yeah, no, the, I, I've picked these two receivers particularly, Rashad Bateman of Minnesota, Rondell Moore of Purdue, both of whom we've debated uh, with each other. I, I didn't select for the purpose, uh, for, for the point that I think that Surratt and Chase are in a similar boat, and it is a different boat than the one in which Rousseau is. Uh, I was talking with him there, who is just an insightful person who doesn't understand football. And I was freaking out because Jamar Chase had opted out. And I was like, yeah, no, Jamar Chase, he was he was Joe Burrow's top target at LSU. Like, he had won the Bolitnikoff Award and, and, and like, you know, he took 20 touchdowns and he was viewed as the best wide receiver coming into the year. And Mary goes, oh, so he was going to declare no matter what. And I was like, oh, yeah, 100% for sure. And, he, and then she goes, so this is probably good for him, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? And – she made the point that you probably are not going to be as good at LSU with Miles Brennan throwing the football, right? As you would have been with Joe Burrow throwing the football, right? And that's like, you know, like, like obviously we are we are not at the point where college football stars regularly opt out of a season willingly without a pandemic kind of backing that decision. But it's something that has been discussed. You know, Ed Oliver declared for the the 2019 NFL draft before the 2019 season began or the 2018 <laughs> right, season began, right, right. right. Like, um, so we're getting to that that point. We're nearing that discussion where a, a player, like, you know, they already opted out of bowl games, right, would say, hey, I, I won the Bolinikoff Award last year. I'm the best receiver in this class. I'm not going to try to make your worst quarterback and your worst offensive coordinator look good at the cost of my draft stock, right, which I don't like that's me putting words in Jamar Chase's mouth. But Jamar Chase and then Sage Surratt out of Wake Forest, who – had a tremendous rapport with Jamie Newman, who is not the best separation uncovering receiver, but had earned the trust of his NFL caliber quarterback such that he was getting downfield targets where other receivers would not have gotten them because Newman believed that Surratt could win 50, 50 balls. Well, Surratt was going to come to a worse offense with the worst quarterback and potentially coming off of injury was going to be even more struggling for separation than he already was previously. So to me, Two receivers who are likely coming off of stronger seasons in 2019 than the seasons off of which they would have come, even in regular conditions from 2020. They get a bit of a boost here by maybe dipping past a season that wouldn't have looked too good on their resumes. Yeah, and that might that might ring true for a lot of offensive players. You know, like I I wonder even for like Rashad Bateman and Rondale Moore, guys who would have been true focal points of their offense, they've already put up a lot of great tape. Like Rashad Bateman's year last year was enough to make 
the imagination go wild, right? I mean, of what he could right. be as a wide receiver. You were praising him during our summer scouting series about They're how you can envision him playing all different kinds of positions and dominating in the way that's so valuable to the game deep down the field. And with Rondale Moore, when you looked at his freshman year, yes, he was injured last season and he really didn't have that same production because of the injury. The year prior... I mean, I think that he broke the record for all-purpose yards in, in a player's first game in college football history with, like, 313. He dom- he dominates Ohio State uh, for a national audience. And, like, people are already thinking about what Rondale Moore is going to be in the NFL. If you are an offensive player and you and you are coming off, like, even one good year, this might be the move for you. Like, it, 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 it's... Right. For you to allow the imagination of the NFL and offensive coordinators to work in your advantage, I think I think that that's a big benefit on offense in a different way for defense because you flip the script and you go over to Gregory Rousseau and you talk about the potential and the incredible year he had last year and all we can still kind of talk about here is... Yeah, but he doesn't quite know what he's doing yet. And some of those wide receivers that we mentioned are a little bit more further along and a little right, bit like more Right, like if polished. Tamori and Terry early declared right now, I'd be like, brother, you know what I mean? You gotta That's fair. Run That's, around. That is fair. But guys like Jamar Chase and like to Mayor's point, big shout out Mayor, now NFL draft expert, uh, yeah, but- to her point, for guys like Surratt and guys like Jamar Chase, they've already done it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they've shown what they are, and especially for Surratt, when you put his name on this list before the show and I was thinking about it, I was like, look, the biggest question marks with Surratt are athleticism. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's he's another year of playing football isn't going to make him faster, right. you know? I and know so, what mold he is. I know where he's going to win. I've got boxes checked, you know what I mean? All right, Ben, we got to take a little break in the action here to talk about the best protein bars on the planet. And that is, of course, supplied by the good folks over at BuiltBar.com. We've talked to you guys about the new flavors that they have. We've talked to you about the new formula, the packets, the uh, the water enhancements that they're giving you that you could buy to give you energy throughout the day. But now, today, for this little ad, I'm going to put Ben through the ringer. All right, I'm going to, I am going to compare the nutritional facts of Built Bar with that of Cliff Bars, Luna Protein Bars, Quest Bars, and then the Pure Protein Bars. Ben, I'm going to say a category like carbs, protein, total calories, and you're going to tell me which one out of those five bars you think is the best. All right. All right. I only remember like two or three, but I feel like I only need to remember one, so it's not a problem. All right, what about calories? What Of those five bars, what do you think has the lowest amount of calories? I have a question. Uh, can I, yes. Can I yeah. ask a question? Yes. Okay. You, you don't have any lifelines, no. I was going to say I like to phone a friend. Um, you, can phone, you, can phone, you can phone me if you want. Right. Obviously, I eat a ton of protein bars, but just in case the people don't know, do you want them to have a lot of calories or not a lot? A lot of people don't want a ton of calories in their protein bars. They would rather have something that they snack on that gives them energy, that gives them nutrition, but does not blow them up with a lot of calories. Okay, well then it would be uh, Bill Bar. It would be Bill Bar. No, yeah, no doubt about it. What about fats? What about fats? Which which protein bar out of these five has the lowest amount of fats? Right, because you don't want a lot of fat because you're working out to get rid of the job. Yes. Oh, then 
with that considered, it would it would be Bill Barr. You would be correct. Uh, once yeah. again, there, you would be correct. What about carbs? You know, everybody. I, there's a lot of diets out there that are really trying to cut carbs, be a lot more lean, more to the protein. Which bar do you think uh, is giving you the least amount of carbs? The least amount of carbs? Yeah, least amount of carbs. Oh, well, then that, 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 that'd be a Bilt Bar. Yeah, no doubt about it, it's Bilt Bar. No, absolutely, absolutely. Now, sugars, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out a little bit here because there are bars that have a lot more sugar that Bilt Bar has a lot less sugar than, but they're not the best. There are two bars that actually have a little bit less sugar, but it's important. Because the formula of Built Bar has the perfect amount of sugar, like low sugar, mm-hmm. and then like maximum protein. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because the like, ratio. there are the a couple of bars on here that have super low sugar and super high protein, and they just taste like poop. You know, it's like you're eating chalk. It's like you're eating soft chalk. That's not the case with Built Bar. So I had to help you out there a little bit. They got the high protein. They've got... They, they don't have high sugar, but they're just not the lowest. So they've got almost what you would think is like the perfect ratio. Ben, of these five bars, we got one more left. Some people out there, they don't love nuts in their protein bars. And there are even some people out there who they're allergic to nuts. You know, they got like a peanut allergy or just a nut allergy in general. That's of all of these five bars, there's only one that doesn't have any nuts at a baseline level of how they're made. Do you know which one it is? I do, Trevor. Actually, I do. Yeah. Bill Folks, he does it again. He it's does it again. He yeah, na- <laughs> it's it's rockauto.com. Guys, rock you can head over to builtbar.com. Get one of these amazing protein bars that taste phenomenal, have great nutritional balance. And if you use the promo code locked on, now that's all caps, no spaces. Locked on. Lockadon. L O C K E D O N. Lockadon. You get $10 off. I also just noticed on their website that it is their second birthday of the company. And right now, they say if you use the promo code YEAR2, all caps, YEAR, and then the number 2, between September 1st and September 4th, you get 22% off every order. Like, it doesn't matter. I think you could just use this as many times as you want, which it's I guess... my uh, It's my, like, Twitter anniversary. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. September 1st, because I made it in like one of the first days of high school. My friend's like, you're not on Twitter? And I was like, oh, of course I'm on Twitter. I'm a cool kid. And then I made Twitter. All right. So it's Ben's Twitterversary and Built Bar's Buildiversary on the like, same day. Look about, look at that. Look at that. So use whatever promo code you want. Locked on. Lock a down. You get $10 off. And you can use uh, year two over the next four days to get 22% off. So you can buy all kinds of boxes, individual protein bars. Sometimes you can buy like, well, if you, if you want, you could buy individual flavors, but you could also mix and match the box. You can do whatever you want. There's a lot of customization over there. You can get the exact bars that you want over at BuiltBar.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. What about uh, what about some of the defensive tackles? You've got Jay Tufele on here. You've got Jalen Twyman yeah. on here as two of the names to discuss as well. Because when we sat down for that Fan Friday podcast to rank the defensive tackles, 
I struggled with that two family Twyman ranking. I remember that you struggled with it as well. I ended up with Twyman at DT2. I don't remember who you had. Do you remember? I had two, yeah, I had Tufele at DV2. Right. So I struggled with that because I thought Twyman was ahead of Tufele on a similar developmental curve in terms of their ability to affect plays in the backfield against the run against the pass. I thought that Tufele could be better, but was not yet at the time. Jake Tufele out of USC has opted out. Jalen Twyman out of Pitt has opted out. Well, with no more film on them, now, to me, it becomes harder to make the case for Tufele over Twyman. Tufele being a player that I like a ton. Tufele being a player that if I were a back half of the first round team and I needed a defensive tackle, I would consider. Even for the development, I think that he still needs. But to me, now that I know I'm not getting film on either one of them, and I start watching their 2019 product less with the framework of what they could be and more of the framework of, right, this is what they are, that's where I think now Twyman, who is a, a clean player, gets that edge over to Tufele, who has those really, really nice moments. Definitely is a, it has more of a wrecking ball style of game to him. Certainly it, it, an apt descriptor is more high ceiling than Twyman. He's just not the same on a snap-to-snap basis. So this is where I think that early declarations changes the framework through which we watch the film. Right. Like uh, we do summer scouting. Right. I, I'm I'm, th- I'm saying, right, he can get better at this. He can get better at that. You know what I mean? Like I, I spent the entire Pulse and Adebo blurb talking about how Pulse and Adebo was going to be fine because he was going to regress back upwards this year. Well, Adebo declares, I have to go back to that 2019 film and say, this is exactly who the player is. When you change that paradigm, it changes the way that you value guys who are ready versus guys who are still developing. And that, to me, is the case between Tufele and Twyman. Yeah, I mean, for as much as I had Tufele and was... I don't want to say, like, the word confident, like, I don't believe in Jalen Twyman, but, like, I was I was cool with Jalen... or Jay Tufele being my DT2. Now, I would, without a doubt, tell you that Twyman's going to get drafted ahead of him. You know, with both so. of these guys coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because, yeah. again, going back to my point about teams keeping it safe and controlling what they know, I feel like that thought process is going to bleed into their scouting and the building of their big boards and them going, hey, look, we can develop JT Fele, but we already know what kind of, at least a floor we're getting with Jalen Twyman with a chance for him to be even better than this. And I think that you're going to see the NFL prioritize a lot of these guys with higher floors because, man, going into the draft, Last April, and remember, we were only you know two months into the pandemic. The only thing that we missed last year before the draft was the comb was uh, not the combine was uh, pro days and like going through extra pro days and some extra notes and gathering some uh, extra thoughts on some of these guys. You know, talking among scouts, all that kinds of stuff before you build the final big board and all that. And I was like, man, you are gonna see some teams really try to take a big advantage of this year being crazy and make some. Some big trade-ups, some crazy trade offers, trying to maneuver this draft. And you're going to see those aggressive GMs, those ones who are confident in their process, you're going to see them move up and down the drafts. And I think it's going to be an unpredictable draft weekend. Day one wasn't like that at all. Not at all. Even the aggressive GMs were standing pat. They were sticking with what they had. Now, now it's not just pro days we're missing. I mean, we're going to miss an entire college football season for some of these guys. And so I've, I've got to think that with that in mind, 
Twyman's going to be higher than a guy like Tufele on almost every board, I got to think, because of what we have on tape right now and what Twyman can deliver for you. Because where taking risks and winning those risks are very fun. Ask any gambler. They will tell you. That's why they're probably degenerates with it. I went through my phase when I was starting to get into roulette. That feeling of winning and risking it all and getting a big hit is is addicting. When you're running an NFL franchise and you got to hit on first round picks, I feel like they're going the, the some of these GMs are just going to be less willing to take these bigger risks on players who could have really developed in a year, but you just don't know now going to the NFL. It's different saying, "Hey, they need another year of football at the college football level," right? Because like getting that next year of football at the NFL level then goes, all right, learning curve and adapting life on your own and all these kinds of outside circumstances and dealing with new coaches and maybe playing a different position and being in a different scheme and all those things go into it. So it's not the same. It's not nearly a one-and-one. That sometimes can shake some confidence, uh, shake some cores of some guys, and it really just affects how teams look at them as draft prospects. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else that you wanted to touch on? Uh, I feel like we hit the narratives pretty well between like yeah. the position battles and guys who are raw and guys who are might benefit with coming out. But uh, anybody else in specific that you wanted to talk about? No, the, the only thing I would say is is the levels to which the 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 the, the way that teams calibrate to the style of rookie they want out of the twenty twenty one NFL draft is going to be really interesting because. Let's like if we if we don't get a full NFL season, and so these these rookies from the 2020 class had an abridged camp and then an abridged regular season. Developmentally, they're going to be viewed as rookies next year. It'll be their first full camp, God willing, and then it'll be their first full season. With that framework, you're expecting in your current framework, you're expecting high floor pro ready guys. If there's a framework of, oh, my 2020 rookies are basically my 2021 rookies, we could see the pendulum swing far, far the other direction for a lot of teams. They say, hey, I'm basically getting a free rookie class because I didn't get anything out of my guys last year. I'm going to swing for the fences on this class because just adding to an already rookie-ish class I have coming in with last year's draft picks. So how we calibrate to what comes next, how we calibrate to the draft, depends on what comes next and what comes next can go 12,000 different ways. And so it's going to be wild. Now, like, like oh, it was a scramble to prepare for last draft for this draft. There's going to be a long time and a lot of strategizing going on. So it's going to be interesting. What about way into the future? I've gotten this question a couple of times where it's like, Hey, you know, you look at examples like Surratt and like Jamar chase where you go, yeah, I mean, your stock kind of is what it is. I mean, like you're, you're highly regarded. I don't know. I'm not sure another year really helps you. Do we think that this year opens the door for prospects to be more comfortable in the future not playing a final year of eligibility, even in a normal year? Like, Let's say that it's a totally normal year, and Jamar Chase just goes, yeah, I'm not playing. I don't need to. No way. Do we think think that this opens the door for that to happen more? I think that... Like that opens the door. I think the doors have been blasted off the hinges, right? I mean, like we are at a point where college conferences are not only unionizing, they're unionizing across conference lines. We're at a point where all the conferences are going in different directions in terms of, of policies for play and the safety for play. 
we have players demanding certain health standards for them to play. And then obviously we have the opt out that, that's going on now. We had Shuba Hubbard, right, and Marvin Wilson holding their coaches accountable with social media during a time of, of social unrest. College football will, it is not enough to say that it will not be the same. College football will be nigh unrecognizable when we, quote, get back to normal. As such, there will be an opening where star players, agents, the shakers and the movers of the field will likely look to normalize college players for as long as they are not getting financially compensated for playing in college, opting out once they've established their draft stock such that they're going to make money in the NFL and they protect their future earnings. That's coming down the mountain. It's a matter of when, not if. Yep. And, and, and it's conditional on if the NCAA starts getting money into the pockets of these players before that agency starts really being realized. Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I completely agree with you that college football as we know it is about to get torn down. And... This happening kind of all at the same time where the players were really, like, like you said, in protest over a lot of the views over their head coaches, uh, you know, which the relationship before for many, many years was just like, ah, hey, like that's your head coach. You just listen to him no matter what. Now the players are realizing, yeah, I might, uh, I might actually have more influence than you. We might actually have more power than you. You see the Pac-12 try to uh, attempt to unionize, get the first steps out of the way to bringing those ideas to life, now getting those conversations going, perhaps compromising in certain ways that will lead to growth in the years that follow. And then, of course, with everything that's going on with the pandemic, you're going to see Jamar Chase be a top 10 pick. Jamar Chase is going to go a more than a full year without strapping up, without putting on pads, and Jamar Chase is going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Guaranteed money for the next four years, no matter what. Millions of dollars. And you better believe that there are college football players that are coming up behind him that are going to watch that who have sensational true freshman or true sophomore years and just go yeah I'm not playing anymore and no need not unless some of that other stuff that I just talked about with the players using the power that they have to kind of get some change and especially compensation is the big one right because they could sit there and think why am I risking it for nothing and that's what a lot of these college football players are going to not I, I know a lot of them think about it now. We're gonna see them act on that, I think, a lot more. It would uh it would be a crime if we did not to end this podcast at least at, list off some of the other names of guys who have opted out early because I know you guys have, have been asking about that. We named Caleb Farley, the cornerback from Virginia, or sorry, Virginia Tech, Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from uh Minnesota, Micah Parsons, linebacker from Penn State, Gregory Rousseau, edge rusher from Miami. Rondale Moore, wide receiver from Purdue. Uh, there's a lot of players from Maryland, but Maryland just had kind of like a mass exodus there. Um, Jalen Twyman, discussed him, the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh. There's a, a player named Jordan Reed from Michigan State. Big shout out Jordan Reed. Yep. Joining the Draft Network full-time, Not lo- no longer going to college. It's spelled the exact same way, too. Yeah, not not the Washington tight end. This one's legit. Uh, Eddie McDoom, which is I mean, it's got that's got to be the best name in college football. The wide receiver from from South Florida. South Florida actually had uh, five other guys that um, that opted out as well. Ben mentioned Kennedy Brooks, the running back from Oklahoma. Warren Jackson, the wide receiver from Colorado State. Kerry Vincent Jr., corner from LSU, a guy who we both really 
like Jalen Mayfield, the offensive tackle from Michigan State, Sherat from Wake Forest, JT Fele from USC, Rayshon Slater, the offensive tackle from Northwestern, who I mocked to the Eagles in my first round mock draft this past you, Monday. Uh, Ambry Thomas, the corner from Michigan, who's getting a lot of buzz. A lot of people were talking about him. Joe Tryon, the linebacker from Washington. We have Jamar Chase, discussed him. Kenneth Gainwell, the running back from Memphis. And then the other guy that we didn't mention that was a big name was Tyler Shelvin from LSU. Those are all the guys. There are some other players that you can go um, read the list on, but those are the big name players that we have talked about throughout summer scouting who are not going to be playing college football in 2020. So, Man, a lot of stuff could be changing very soon in the short term and in the long term when it comes to college football, that relationship with the NFL and the NFL draft. We're going to continue to have these conversations as things develop throughout the coming months, throughout this next year, throughout this 2021 draft cycle, because not only is it going to be unprecedented, there's going to be a lot of things that happen uh that just have never happened before, but it's also going to change stuff. It's going to lay the foundation for maybe a whole different way that these prospects, these teams view the draft, view college football, and uh, how it deals with the journey for these guys making it to the pro level. Ben and I got uh, two more podcasts this week that we're doing before we get to Fan Friday. We're going to get into some team season previews as the NFL season is, man, what are we, a week and a half away? Is that what it is? Nine days or five days or two days. Nine days. It better not be two days. We got a lot to get it's to. It's like here. It's stunning. We got a lot to get to before kickoff. What's that, uh, that meme? Like he's here and he's perfect. Uh, I, I actually don't know the original meme for that. I've only seen people. I, I'm pretty sure it's when Kim Kardashian had her son. Does she have a son? Yeah. Um, it, it's Kanye West kid. Northwest? Yeah, Isn't Northwest a... Their is kid's North name is—is is that a, is a boy? Or I don't know what North is. Uh, that's direction. It's true, but anyway, I'm pretty sure he, Kim, tweeted out he's here and he's perfect, and that was mm. how he she announced that that her child was born, which is pretty solid. A Kardashian meme. We'll get to uh, a lot more Kardashian memes and a lot more football in the next couple of episodes throughout the week. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.